HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by charlottesgotalot.com. The Queen City is a food lover's paradise and hosts to hundreds of incredible events throughout the year, including the International Symposium on Bread. Plan your trip at charlottesgotalot.com. This is Jimmy Carboni, the host of Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. I've been a part of the HRN community for 10 years. After all that time, I'm constantly inspired by the incredible voices of our network. Each week, I record my show in the HRN studio because I'm excited to bring you, our listeners, the most important stories from the world of beer, food, cider, and more. All of us here at HRN make food radio because we love it. This year, HRN is celebrating its 10th anniversary, but we need your support to keep food radio going strong for the next decade. Join the HRN community today by becoming a member. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate right now. You can even show some love from my show by selecting beer sessions in the designation drop-down menu. Thanks for listening to HRN. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil runs his groove in them rhythm and blues that sound. It's gonna get you Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Souther Teague. I'm Matt Patterson. Hey, Matt. What are you doing in this room? I don't know. I'm lost. Matt's usually uh, in the sound in, in the sound booth uh, as our uh, uh, what, what's your, your engineer. You're engineer. Well, engineer. I always get engineer and producer confused. Yeah, that's because if you polled a bunch of people in the industry, you would just remain confused. There's a lot of different definitions of those words. Well, Tadashore, when he was here, he explained to me that I'm the producer. I'm producing the content. I would agree with that He's assessment. He's the engineer. You're the engineer. Yeah. We're, we're, we're twiddling knobs, but you are scheduling. You are thinking about what are you going to talk to this fine man over there about. Yeah. You know, yeah, that, that's producer. Listen, I, uh, I hear you got married. I did get married. Yeah, how'd that that's, go? That's my life update. Yeah, uh, what? No, thank you. Um, pushing two weeks ago in Newport, Rhode Island. It was like the most fun week, week and a half I've ever had, basically. Yeah. Um, including the day of, which is supposed to be the stressful part, I think. But um, I don't know. I've talked to so many people afterwards who were like, oh, yeah, you know, sometimes you look at the couple and they're like, not. Nah, that thrilled maybe because the parents like ran the show or whatever i don't know but we had an amazing time we had all these crazy craft projects to do ahead of the thing and yeah you did a lot of diy we did a lot of diy stuff i was a couple days prior i was dying like 120 
feed of cheesecloth teal with my mother in the backyard. <laughs> that was really fun, actually. Uh, uh, and then we had like we we pitted all of our tables against each other in a cake a surprise cake decorating competition instead of having a wedding cake, and it was badass. That's pretty rad. It was really fun. People were stealing shit from every corner of the room. There were like limes from the bar that made it in. There were candles. Some of the cakes were all, like on fire basically. It was it was it was pretty awesome. It's pretty lit. Uh, that it sounds was pretty, pretty, pretty red. That's really red. Yeah. It was it was so much fun. Uh through and through. So, well, I could not have asked for a better day. Yeah, that's nice. Well, my yeah, last yeah. my last 2 weeks have been pretty chaotic. So, you've been you've been to all the news. You went to New Orleans. Went to New Orleans for a week for Tales of the Cocktail and worked a bunch of events down there, recorded several episodes of the show that will be airing soon. Listeners will get to hear all about that. Yeah, it's going to be great. Uh and then I flew from there to New Zealand. New New York, New Orleans, New Zealand, where I worked with uh the team from Ponsonby Social Club for a an event called Eat, Drink, Love, Ponsonby. Um, we did uh, four nights in a row of... Uh, uh, they chose eight cocktails out of my book, uh-huh. and we did a four-course tasting menu of food, and with each course, the guests got to choose one of two cocktails. So, Cool. But everybody came in two, so everybody chose them all. So we, we made, we made all, all the cocktails for everybody every night. Basically. Nice. Really fun. And they were keeping you busy, because I know you didn't do any recording in New Zealand. I couldn't get any recording the guests, done. The, the listeners will just have to wonder about what happened over there. So what I'm did sure, happen? I'm sure I'll talk about it more and more, but... Uh, also, in the daytime, I was doing workshops with local bartenders, trying to talk to them about like American style bartending, and you know, uh, just just how we do stuff here compared to how they do stuff there. You know, it's kind of it's kind of like the land of the lost over there. Mm-hmm. They're so far removed from everything. Oh yeah, they're just you know scratching and excited to get any input from anywhere. There were there were yeah. tons of people who were really very excited to see me. Um, you know, come over and just just make drinks. Like, just talk to them about making drinks. So, what did they want to know about? Like, what what was the most asked? question or topic what are they trying to pick your brain about honestly you know they asked mostly about hospitality less less about technique and mostly about hospitality they're certainly interested in technique and things like that but they're more interested in knowing like what it's like to a be a guest at a bar in, uh-huh. in the united states and b to be behind the bar and deliver that that message there's not so many people in new, new zealand so maybe <laughs> that's so the problem many, yeah. they're, they're they like they're probably they very hospitable to their sheep because the sheep outnumber them by quite a bit four to one yeah so but maybe they're like so what's it like having all these people yeah. in the bar yeah they have people in the bar but it's you know it's again it's not as um I don't know, it's not as intimate you know uh the bar scene there is still a little bit uh Grander scale, you know. Uh, number one cocktail sale over there is uh, espresso martini. Okay. So a big coffee culture there. I get that. Um, but you know, you're correct. reminding me that in my time in New Zealand, I don't think I ordered a single cocktail, and maybe it's because I was being drink- pushed to have espresso martinis. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. They drink a lot of uh, a lot of beer there. I had some amazing craft beer when yeah. I was there. Killing I mean, it. Those, but the there, hops, there, the there are some some standouts. Ponsonby Social Club rocks out some cocktails. I went to um, Deadshot, uh, which is a an alum of uh, the Petrosky uh, School of Thought, uh, who opened up over there. He's got two spaces. I didn't get to go to the other one, but Deadshot was amazing. Um, there's a place called Clipper over there that my buddy Jacob Breyers has a hand in. Uh, uh, you know, they're pretty on point as well. But this is all in Auckland? We, right, I, I guess we're sort of a suburb of Auckland okay. called Ponsonby. Oh, right. Okay. Um, and the whole Ponsonby thing was centered around this road, Ponsonby Road, which is kind of like the strip of bars and restaurants in, in that area of town but i mean so close closer than brooklyn to manhattan like i walked okay. i walked down to auckland from ponsonby it took, yeah. me, it took me 20 minutes um got down by the water 
Uh, then one, only one day that I had free, we went out to Wahiki Island, about a 30-minute uh, ferry ride, and it's uh, all a bunch of wineries over there. We went to Tantalus Winery, and, and nice. Man of War really hosted us. They, they, they showed us a great time right by the water, uh, their winery. They fed us lunch and tasted us through all their marks. And cool. And then I got on a 30-hour <laughs> trip home, and I'm strung out from the road right now. Did you think about staying? Just because of the trip, yeah. <laughs> you were like, I'm, I'm so not looking forward to this that maybe I can make a new life. Well, it was back to back. You know, I left New Orleans to go, which I did a lot of things while I was there, and then I left to go straight to New Zealand and do a lot of work as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then to get on that flight and come back and know that I had to be here this morning. And and you were scheduled to work today. I was not I, just here. I backed out of it. I, I mean, <laughs> I that out. would have been thanks, Blake. Wow. <laughs> I, I, reached, I reached out to Blake, my head bartender, and said, "Man, I'm going to be terrible at the bar tonight." <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. He was like, "I don't know, man. I've been working while you've been gone." And I was like, "I just need one more day, buddy. I'm strung out." Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, "I got you." Yeah. So you know, thanks again, Blake. Yeah. Um, well, in the studio today, we've got our guest uh, who also flew in. You flew in just today to to, just to meet today. us here. Just to um, come here. Sam Nellis from uh, Bar Hill up in Montpelier, Vermont. Welcome, uh, Bar yes. Hill Gin. Hello. Well, it's not it's not Bar Hill Gin. It's it's uh, Caledonia, Caledonia Spirits. Spirits. You got a few marks, yep. uh, but it all started with the Bar Hill Gin, which has been around for about you think you told me nine years, right? Yes, pretty much. And you're their um, uh, you're their beverage director because they they built a new facility and they got a bar inside. Exactly. So we were situated in Hardwick, Vermont, which is this fun area of Vermont called the Northeast Kingdom. Yep. Very mystical. I, I think the listener might remember. I, I lived in Vermont for a couple of years. I taught at the New England Culinary Institute. Right, so you're familiar. Um, speaking of animals outnumbering people, I think there's more cows in Vermont uh-huh, than people. Uh-huh. We got the same thing here, but it's with rats. Perfect. Yeah, and we, and, <laughs> and, and, and we like to not think about yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> not you hospitable know? to the rats. Yeah, um, no, <laughs> try not to be, but they still keep coming back. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we just moved. Uh, a month ago, we opened our new facility in Montpelier, Vermont, which is the state capital. Um, it's the smallest state capital in the states. Yeah, uh, when I lived there, it was eight thousand residents. I don't know if it's increased by much since then. I don't think it has. I thought. I, thought, I think last I looked, it was seventy five hundred actually. Um, uh, I remember at the time, anyway, there was one red light, and it was at the corner of State and Main. And Main. Like the most boring, <laughs> like they're not even being creative at all. State Street, Main Street. <laughs> well, um, no, maybe they were the creative ones, and everybody's just been ripping them off. They've been be. like, wow, this is such a perfect state capital. We should steal that. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, so I'm running the cocktail program at the distillery. So we have a full-on bar. We, uh, we sell wine, beer, other spirits as well. Uh, it's It's... So much more than just a, a tasting room or a tasting bar like at a lot of other distilleries. So you can walk in, do a little tour, check out the space. Um, there's a retail store, and then there's a bar open seven days a week. Uh, we've got a bunch of craft cocktails, a, a team of really badass bartenders that are kind of taking the whole central Vermont cocktail scene to another level. That's awesome. I, now, in New York, I don't know the exact rules because I can think of an example that breaks the rule that I think of. In New York, if you're a distillery and you are making a thing and you open a bar at your distillery... You can only use your thing and things that you make. Farm distillery licenses allow oh, them listen to, to use. this guy chiming in. <laughs> <laughs> well, I used to work at Van Brown Stillhouse, uh, uh, distilling right. distilling their whiskey and whatnot. Uh, and they can use, they can even sell, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, farm brewery licensed breweries beer, mm-hmm. as well as any anything that's made in state, basically. Um, uh-huh. So they, they were able to do cocktails and the like as long as they prepared any 
you know, like, I don't know, cherry infusions for old fashions and stuff. Like, they just had to be careful about sourcing, basically. Got it. And then that afforded them more leeway. Because Kings County Distillery here in New York has a bar, but they have to make everything. So if they want to make a Negroni, they've got to make the, make their own kind of Campari or whatever. Yeah. That's difficult. And sweet vermouth, right? I think that that would be true, too. And Van Brunt built around that by just not. They didn't do that kind of thing. But then the thing I think that that's, that's sort of breaks that rule is... Um, NYDC, New York Distilling Company, which has the mm-hmm. bar connected to it called The Shanty. And yeah. they, of course, carry all their stuff. There's a big glass window that you can see the yeah. distillery. But then they carry, you know, Rittenhouse Rye, Old Overholt. And this is where I run into it. could be the, selling it to themselves, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I run up against a wall of luckily never having to learn the exact ends. And I'm outs. sure there are different so, licenses. Yeah. Anyway, every state is different. And yeah, it, yeah, it, was, it was not allowed until the actual Distillers Association um, worked really, really hard. Uh, bar Hill, along with some other really great distillers in Vermont pretty much petitioned the government to get that rule changed. Recently? So very recently. It passed literally a few days before we opened. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so is craft distilling in Vermont, like, basically, has it have all the distilleries opened since that law came about? Or is, like, is it all that recent? Um, no, we've had a bunch of distilleries open. Okay. This is just the law that you're allowed to have a bar within your distillery okay. and sell other products, which I was really excited about because... I wasn't necessarily looking forward to not being able to use a bunch of other and not be able to make a classic Negroni or something like that. Right. We, wanted to, we yeah. want it to be... Right, because you want to showcase your stuff in a way that's accessible to the to the consumer so they'll buy right. it. And if you're saying, well, this is our Negroni made with our Campari, then they can't go home and make that. Exactly. Yeah. But if you say, here's a Negroni made with Campari, they can right. go home and make that. And we focus a lot on education, too. Edu- we do a lot of... I'm really kind of classically trained. I really focus on classic cocktails in general. And we focus on really educating the the guests to be able to make their cocktails at home. So exactly that. <laughs> There'll be a... So they're taking a picture of me. <laughs> doing, it for the, <laughs> doing it for the gram. <laughs> you know, we could have gotten away with that on the radio. They don't know. Exactly. But now they do. Um, He's new to just radio. preemptively <laughs> prepping the awkward look. Uh, oh, man. But yeah, so because so, so, we want it to be a bar for tourists that come by, but also regulars. Uh, so it's not just kind of tasting our spirits, but it's 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 a it's a community bar. So we we have a really good mix of tourists from all over the world where coming you, in. Where are you situated in Montpelier? Like, do you know Berry Street? It's like parallel to the river. Yeah, yeah. It's I'm... a little bit outside of the. It's like a mile out from. That red light you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Way outside the, of the city. The red light. You know where the red light is? Um, they're putting <laughs> a bike path right there. It's In Montpelier, what I've come to learn is really a hub for all of central Vermont. So like all the towns mm-hmm. around there come to Montpelier well, I mean, for uh, a lot of stuff. The, 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 I can't remember what, what the, what's the insurance company that's in Montpelier. It's right up mm-hmm. on the hill there. Anyway, I, they what I remember is 8,000 residents uh, of Montpelier but daily, it would double based on the number of people who came into the city to work. Right. So it would go yeah. from 8,000 to 15,000. Politicians as well. Every day. Politicians, huge insurance company, this name I'm forgetting, that's up on the hill, the school, of course, et cetera. Right. Um, but okay, so you, you just said you, you're more sort of a classicist and traditionalist in cocktail sort of making. Yes. Um, where'd you get your start? I got my start about eight years ago, nine years ago. I was doing seasonal work. I was working outside most summers, and in the wintertime, I'd work at a you know, high volume pizza place, a little bit more of a sports bar. Had a lot of fun doing it. And then I didn't really want to go back to to landscaping and reached out to a friend of mine who was opening up a new restaurant. It was a Neapolitan pizzeria, a very heavy focus on Amaro and cocktails and actually a 
New York City mixologist came to train us. He was not calling himself really a mixologist, but, <laughs> but that's what they told us, and I had no idea what to expect. I didn't you guys really know are anything. Like New York City. Who's coming? Oh, exactly. Jesus, this is going to be shitty. Um, and it turns out it's our mutual friend, Justin Lane Briggs. He's JLB. Originally from Vermont. Um, just kind of lit a passion within me of the whole craft. Of He's so passionate about you know fresh local ingredients, seasonality, uh, local spirits, mixing it mixing them together and just kind of with this classic training focus. Oh, it didn't, probably didn't hurt that he at least walked in the door and was like, you know, I'm from Vermont. Exactly. Right? So he's from up there. So right. he wasn't just coming into... He gets it. Yeah, he gets it. <laughs> and he's, he proud, gets he's it. a proud Vermonter. It's nice. Yeah, he is. Um, yeah, so I worked there for a few years. Uh, eventually started bar managing So, so if there. they brought him up, then I guess the focus there was also kind of classics, right? Exactly. So he, he did a, he did some plays on classics and really just kind of trained us in classics, and it was obviously very Italian-focused. Um, so everything, every cocktail on the menu had some Ital- Italian uh, ingredient. Uh, after that, one of the owners split off and opened up a big, big restaurant in Winooski, Vermont, just close to Burlington, in a old mill, actually. Um, so I was that was kind of the first place that I got to start my own beverage program from the ground up. Worked there for a few years, became one of the top sellers of Bar Hill Gin in, in, in Vermont. Got really close to the reps and the whole company. And then a job opened up to help kind of curate and work with the architects and consult on this bar within the distillery. And I, you know, basically said, I want to do more than consult. I want to, I want to work for you guys. Um, and so I got the job. I'm super pumped. I've been there for about a year. Uh, it's much more than just the cocktails for the bar. It's really the cocktails for the whole company, a lot with the marketing team, do a lot with the sales reps around the country. We're in 32 states now, five countries. Holy cow. Yeah, it's going really well. And um, Bar Hill all started, Bar Hill, the whole notion all started around um, bees. Yes. So Todd Hardy was uh, a beekeeper at heart. He had a honey um, company. And then around the time of the craft beer boom, he wanted to start fermenting his honey into mead. Um, and he hired Ryan, who has since become our the owner of the company, to help him ferment. Ryan had a homebrew store in a small town called Plainfield. Um, so they were fermenting a little bit of mead. Um, the mead industry is a little slim. So <laughs> they were <laughs> very excited to start distilling. So the, the first, uh, we could jump right into it, I guess. The first spirit that they created was a vodka um, distilled 100% from mead, which is made 100% from honey. So I think it's the world's first and only vodka distilled 100% from honey. And not only is it any honey, but it's it's raw honey. So it's got this huge flavor profile. I kind of compare it to the double IPA of honey versus a Bud Light of honey that's been kind of diluted <laughs> down. Uh, it's raw honey from our region. All the honey comes from 250 miles around uh, around Montpelier. Uh, and it just has this huge sense of terroir. So the, there's about four pounds of honey that goes into each bottle. Four um, pounds of honey to each bottle of this vodka? Yes. Holy cow. I think I said off the air, like, why not just sell the honey? Four pounds of honey <laughs> sounds like $100 worth of honey. We also sell one bottle sell of vodka sells for 40 bucks. Well, honey <laughs> in New York City is maybe a little priced differently. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to pour us a little bit of this. Yeah, and so the Let's, beauty uh, of this vodka is, you know, vodka is, quote unquote, a neutral spirit. Nice. <laughs> a neutral spirit, tasteless, flavorless. Um, there's a couple rules that have to happen with vodka. It has to be distilled to a certain proof and has to be filtered. Um, so because of those rules, it actually becomes neutralized in the process. Um, but what we do, which I think is a little bit different, is 
really just take a really small cut of strictly the heart of the hearts, and then we do very little filtration, mm. almost none. Absolutely. Um, which so we're keeping that flavor. A lot of other folks are potentially keeping in a larger cut and then filtering out a lot of the negative flavors. Um, but then, but, in essence, are also filtering out any other flavor as well. Sure, we we, we often talk about the still on the air here um, as like a purifying machine. Exactly. But you don't have to turn it all the way up. Exactly. Right? So like, you know, there You're are makers medical of... medical grade uh, Of stuff. course, of course. There are makers of, um, of all sorts of things. Bourbon, you know, they don't turn it all the way up. They want to keep some of that corn notion. Right? Exactly. So I get, I, get the, I get the idea of... And then also filtering, right? You don't right. want to filter all that stuff out of there. So I get the idea of that. Let's take a quick break. I, I just poured us this, but let's take a quick break. We'll come right back and taste this stuff on the air. It's the Bar Hill Vodka. Uh, you're listening to Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. Stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by charlottescottalot.com. The Queen City is a food lover's paradise and host to hundreds of incredible events throughout the year, including the International Symposium on Bread at Johnson & Wales University. HRN went to this year's symposium to learn about the science, history, and art of bread making. Here's what visitors had to say about the symposium. I love the geeky science stuff. Great food. Love the Armenian pizza. How much I'm eating. And consuming the carbs. The most interesting thing is just the community. For me, it's the the, the science of starters. So much information. Very inspiring so far because everybody has a different outlook. I'm not technically a breadhead, but I think I'm going to be one after being here. So whether you're a breadhead or just a curious mind, check out HRN on tour for coverage of Charlotte's International Symposium on Bread and an insider's look into Charlotte's food scene. Don't miss our interview with Peter Reinhardt and Kristen Moore to learn more about where to eat on your next trip to Charlotte, a city on the rise. Learn more at charlottesgotalot.com. And one of these days about 12 o'clock, gonna make this town really rock. And we're back on the Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. I'm sitting here with my buddy Ryan uh, Nellis from... Uh, Sam Nellis. Sorry, Sam Nellis. Ryan didn't, didn't make it. Right. Uh, um, uh, Sam Nellis from Bar Hill. Um, uh, talking about... Uh, well, we're talking about honey, and then we're talking about distilling that... Or brewing that into mead, and then now distilling that into vodka is what you guys did, ended up doing up there. Um, but while we were off the air just now, you talked about how... You know, this isn't, like, cranked all the way up. Right. Uh, on the purifying zone, so it's got it, a lot of aroma. It has to be cranked up to a certain degree to be able to technically call it vodka. What it doesn't have to be is heavily, heavily filtered through charcoal and through all a bunch of other things. So we're trying to still be able to fall within that category of vodka while actually having a vodka with a little bit of flavor. Um, yeah, it seems also a little bit heavy on my palate, right? Mm-hmm. It's not as like It's got a bigger mouth feel. It's absolutely yeah. creamy almost. Mm-hmm. Um, really coats your whole mouth and then when you take that first sip it, you just get this I, I get a florality um, really hard nice. to miss it yeah yeah. Um, because again this is coming from honey which is a obviously super floral product are you guys uh, uh, in any way still connected to or making any mead? well we're technically making mead to then turn into the vodka but, but, but we're, not, for, we're not selling it there's or, no or, sale point in the middle there's no sale point in the middle it's been a, it's been a discussion but I think we, we really want to just stick to the spirits right now and, and you know, and be a distillery and be yeah. a cocktail bar. But. Do you hang on to any of it to maybe just taste people at the bar? 
It's a that's a great question. We have not yet. You should we should? You know, you taste them on the honey. You should be, taste them on the meat, and then yeah. taste them on the vodka. Because of the legalities of it, we have like the bonded area, right. non-bonded area to be able to taste anything from the bar that's been made in the distillery. It has to be go through GTB and be labeled, got and then this whole got. whole shebang. But ah, the government ruins everything. Yes. <laughs> let's taste the gin. Here. Yeah, let's so talk that, about the gin first, and then we'll taste it. Uh, so tell me all about it. So Bar Hill Gin, that's kind of our, our what we became really known for. It's our, our flagship product. Um, it's made in a traditional gin style, so it's actually a neutral grain spirit instead of a, a honey spirit. Distilled with juniper berry, a ton of juniper berries, and then it's actually finished with a little bit of the raw honey. So it's got a little bit of that golden color. Um, the idea was when you when you put the honey in the still, you lose a little bit of those botanical notes. And the reason why we're only using juniper berry to you know be able to call it gin and not adding any other botanicals is because the honey itself um, has hundreds and hundreds of countless botanicals countless botanicals you know, no, i love that we talked about that off air as well where you said um you know lots of gins are out there and they say how many botanicals they contain six eight twenty fifty um and that's sort of a point of pride for them but you're saying that this gin is juniper juniper is and your honey Exactly. But the honey, because it's been, you know, the bees are out there getting it from all manner of plants. (laughs) You're getting it done. Working hard. From all manner of plants, meaning meaning that in the honey itself is, as you just said, sort of a countless number of botanicals. What do you think that brings to the product? Well, it just brings an extremely terroir-driven product. We're making this with um, plants that grow in New England that grow within 250 miles of, of the actual distillery you wouldn't be able to make it with honey from a different part of the world we could it would just taste completely different obviously so honey is almost this ultimate terroir driven um, product yeah. which is really nice and it, it just it changes slightly seasonally um, and it just really highlights highlights our area and so we're all about you know it was a beekeeper and a distiller that came together to make this company and a beekeeper is essentially a, a farmer and bees are kind of the ultimate farmer so our, our whole slogan is land crafted instead of handcrafted because in essence it's a super simple product it's one botanical it's raw honey boom but it's the honey itself that's extremely complex so it's right. raw honey it's not filtered it's not pasteurized um we should taste some of the honey by itself too oh you got some yeah so you can see it's yeah it's thick uh and does this does this have honeycomb in it as well it doesn't have the honeycomb. <laughs> Sorry, he stepped away from the mic. Where'd you go? <laughs> oh, I just stuck my finger in it. Of course you did. Nobody can see us. <laughs> We're on the radio. Here's oh, your spoon, thanks for, thanks for the spoon. <laughs> I'm gonna taste it again, though. Um, so what? Yeah, I don't really. You know what? It's a funny thing. I don't really understand all the, the different parts of honey. Right. This, hasn't, this doesn't have honeycomb in it, but it's not clear like the normal honey I see. It's very cloudy and Yeah, so the, hun- the honeycomb is actually beeswax. Mm-hmm. Um, so the bees, and you know, I'm not a professional beekeeper nor a, a biologist, but the, from what I gather, the bees um, make, you make the wax to make the honeycombs as little walls to then store the honey in, and they'll actually cap it with wax, and they'll kind of pick at it as the winter goes on. Um, so when you go in and you know, take all the honey out, you're left over with a lot of wax. We actually melt down that wax and dip our bottles into it. So that's what that kind Get of seal is. And it smells amazing. That's a honey... Give it a sniff. Yeah. Holy smoke. <laughs> so the wax seal around the top of the bottle uh, cap, is which, a natural which you see like, on a lot of bottles, is, this is natural beeswax. And it smells amazing. Holy cow, it does. That's a... <laughs> um, the whole distillery smells like that and, and oak barrels. 
So this seems to me like you guys are really trying to be conscientious and use every every part of the product, right? Is that is exactly. that hold true for your company as a whole? Or are, you, are you trying to be like as sustainable as possible? And all yes, that sort of thing? we're definitely trying to be as sustainable as possible. The whole distillery, you know, when we were able to make this change, we were able to build a distillery from the ground up and really, you know, just the way things are made, it's a ton of solar power. Um, we're saving 83% less, or basically using 83% less water than we were at the old distillery now that we were able to kind of reuse some of the hot water and the gray water, that sort of thing. Uh, it's real, And then there's the whole kind of larger sustainability factor of, of supporting local agriculture uh, and not going with kind of big conglomerates for, for different agricultural products. Uh, it's pretty rad. This honey is delicious. So it's, it's really an old-time-style gin, not a London Dry. It's very, it's very different. It's round. You know, it's a tiny, tiny percentage of honey. We're not looking to make a... A, a sweet gin or like a honey flavored gin it's really to kind of accent the botanicals out it of the definitely gin. has a back note though right that you can perceive i mean i don't know if in a blind taste i would know it right off the bat mm-hmm. but as, as soon as you would have said honey i'd be like oh yeah mm. there it is exactly right because the honey, right i feel yeah. like it's just pulling forward on uh, <laughs> take it easy <laughs> yeah it's just pulling forward on the um all the uh, the botanicals that are coming from the juniper and the, and the, the grain neutral spirit as well right mm-hmm. it's really good Man, and this has become your sort of flagship, right? You started with vodka, but this is really your product. It is, and you know, me as a, I was using it as a bartender for years. You know, before I was even involved in the company, it's, it fits on any gin shelf. You know, it's not replacing any gin. It 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 has its whole flavor of its own. It just adds it adds to your back bar, very much so. It, it plays really well with others and in split based spirits because it's. It almost act as a modifier. It's really potent and delicious. Um, it's also kind of the gin for folks who, you know, everyone's got that story. I don't, I don't like gin. I, I drink too much gin in college or whatever. <laughs> and then we kind of just try to tell them, like, like no, there are but two please. really polarizing spirits out there, and they both have the same story: exactly. gin and, and tequila. I know, yeah, my yeah. time and oh, I had too much. Yeah, fuck that. Get back on the horse. Yeah. And so, I like our goal is just to get them taste to taste this gin. You know, at right. least in a cocktail. I, you know, I guarantee we can make you a cocktail that you like. And then even even just neat, they're like, oh whoa, I didn't think I liked gin, but I like gin. I like right. that gin. So it's well, fun. it's really we're just converting people. Well, I'm sure you sell a lot of bees knees at your bar. We do, absolutely. Tell um, me about tell me about bees knees week, please. Thank you. Um, bees knees classic cocktail. I actually just done a lot of research on it. 1920s cocktail invented by Frank Meyer. It's Austrian born. He he worked a little bit in New York and then was working mostly in the Ritz in Paris and. Even worked there during World War II, and there's all these kind of legendary stories that he was a little bit of a, a spy against the Germans and would tell the English, because all the soldiers went to the bar, you know. Mm-hmm. And so he's, he's got a good story. Uh, bees knees, it's just gin, lemon, honey, so obviously our, our product works really well for that. A couple of years ago we started, um, we really wanted to figure out a way to contribute even more to agriculture and supporting bees and supporting beekeepers and local beekeepers and so we started doing bees knees week you know which is pretty much bars from around the country sign up and they choose to donate a certain amount for every bees knees cocktail they sell that week to a kind of save the bees foundation and that that changes a little bit year to year uh, first year we had 300 bars sign up last year we doubled that we had about 750 bars sign up it's, holy smoke that's amazing it is it's coming up the end of september please go and Sign up and bees uh, at Bar Hill, uh, CaledoniaSpirits.com, sorry. There's a Bees Knees Week tab. 
Super easy to sign up, free to sign up. Yeah, Caledonia, C-A-L-E-D-O-N-I-A, spirits.com. And uh, we have a map on there, and it's really fun to see kind of little flags that pop up all around the all around the country and some parts of the world. Last year, we had someone in England sign up, someone in Brazil, because you can participate even if you don't actually have access to the Bar Hill. We just really want to try to support the, the cause. That's outstanding. So modeled after sort of the Campari Week, or exactly. rather Negroni Week right, uh, right. Uh, situation, uh, and, and but the but the donations are all to sort of like bees, exactly. So like <laughs> which is a huge, year, which is hugely important, right? We're having a real problem with bees right now. Huge, like uh, they're disappearing and they're dying, and and they are the ones who make us uh, food, make us everything. It's, it's something <laughs> like, like two thirds of every restaurant menu is because bees exist. You wouldn't be able to have that. But even citrus, you wouldn't have like, right, a lot of, of things that come with cocktails, right? Um, so yeah, I, I think uh, Al, I think Albert Einstein famously said, "Like a world without bees uh, is, has two two years of humanity left." Right? Oh wow! Yeah, I, I've heard that. I didn't know it was Albert Einstein. I think that's, it was. I could know. be wrong. Let's look it up. It's fine. <laughs> I'm going to start saying that. Um, yeah, great. Now I've created a, a propagating <laughs> of the wrong quote. I'm strung out. I was on a plane for 30 hours. <clears throat> uh, so that's awesome. But yeah, though. so the, like the, the organization that we paired up with last year was a Bee Cause Project, and they're basically responsible for encouraging the next generation of beekeepers to actually do this whole bee curriculum in schools and put beehives at schools and teach the kids all about bees and the importance of bees and, and planting fresh gardens and fresh flowers and just supporting the whole agriculture in general. That's amazing. Um, you know, a lot of that's going on here in, in the city as well, especially in Brooklyn. A lot of rooftop, a lot of amateur rooftop beekeepers trying to keep bees uh, in business. I've heard that hives are kind of an organism all on their own mm-hmm. instead of a bunch of little mini organisms. They have a personality, and I've heard that the uh, city bees are a little more pissed off in general than the. Hey, I'm flying over here. <laughs> I'm flying over here. <laughs> Uh, I mean, could be, uh, could be. Either way, they're doing how many, good how work, many, and they're how many, overall happier to be there. I'm yeah, sure. how many of these charities and stuff use uh, use terrible puns in their names? Like you just said, because uh, uh, <laughs> uh, a ton. Yeah, I try to keep them out of our cocktail naming because it's too easy to think of them. But <laughs> inevitably, they get their way, they sneak their way in there sometimes. Um, this gin is freaking delicious. Thank I, you. I do like gin, so I'm I'm, right. I'm an easy sell. But even then, room temp neat gin is not you know. A, necessarily known for that you ever play dice in new york city <laughs> <laughs> do you know that rule no uh when you're playing dice yeah, if you uh, uh if you roll one of the dice and it, and it falls off the table or bar or wherever it is you're playing your 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 punishment which i don't mind is, <laughs> a, is a shot of warm gin from the bar oh really <laughs> yeah. great i'll have to play later <laughs> yeah uh, maybe at basic later um all right what you, so you got this t- so Let's talk about. You, you said the Bar Hill one is kind of like an old Tom, but then you have this. And then we have this one actually called Tom Cat. Yeah. So what's that all about? Um, so Tom Cat Gin is this is the same product pretty much. It's the same Bar Hill Gin, but it's aged in a new American white oak charred barrel. So, you know, it's it's not a bourbon barrel. It's the same type of barrel they would use for bourbon. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't reuse the barrels, hence how rich in color and flavor and aroma it is yeah this is pretty um, dark this is really the kind of where where gin meets whiskey it's it's you know there's other aged products out on the market i think what sets this one mostly apart is is how is that that fact the new the new oak um so on the wow it's fun to just teach folks who come into the distillery don't know too too much about spirits they taste in some people don't even know that you know a brown spirit comes from barrels and so this is literally the same product. It shows how much flavor, you know, wood and different types of wood can add to anything, right? So vanilla, caramel, a lot of chars. This is like your campfire gin. Yeah, the aroma is very, um, 
I don't know. It hits me with a lot of like tea, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit uh, yeah. soft and floral. Yeah. And I haven't tasted it yet, but it's, uh, and then that color, man, that's really, um, it's darker than I expected. It still it's has really, the raw honey. It still has the juniper berry, obviously, so it's got the spice. And the spice, just the juniper spice and the vanilla notes from the oak, I think, work really well together. Um, that gin, I definitely would drink neat. <laughs> yes. Uh, that is in a glass, or maybe with you know, maybe with a piece of ice. That is delightful. Thank you. Wow, um, it's something special, and it's it. Uh, some people just have never seen an aged gin, and they're really blown away. And so it's fun to show that to them. Have I mean, an I'd experience. Top this up with a little bit of warm water and drink it like a toddy. Absolutely, like it's all built already. I don't have to add anything. Right, right. Add For warm, sure. add warm water, maybe a lemon wedge. Right. It works wow, this really is fantastic. Well. And so we we set out to make. Not just the Bar Hill Gin Slightly Aged as like a slightly spin-off. We set out to make a different product. So these two kind of stand on their own on separate ends of your of your gin shelf at your bar or at your house because of how insanely different and equally delicious they are. And some people got their favorites. You taste people. They, I like the, the brown one. I like the regular one. <laughs> the brown one. <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot of people like both for different occasions like myself. Uh, it works really well, you know. Just I really just do a lot of classic whiskey cocktails with it. We got a, for the summer. We had a Tomcat Mint Julep on the menu. That it's sounds freaking great. Do, you know, is it a Boulevardier? Is it a Negroni? I don't know. It's right kind of in between. Sort of toeing the line. <laughs> exactly. It's kind of the perfect one for that. Uh, so it works really well. Our, our flagship cocktail for that one is just kind of the Tomcat Old Fashioned because it's really just a s- slight spin on a classic Old Fashioned. Um, working really well. Dude, I'm loving it. I'm sipping on it instead of talking on the air. Um, <laughs> wow. Uh, so those are your three marks uh, that you have currently for sale, and you're using them all at the bar. Yes. Um, uh, you got anything else in the works? What are you thinking about doing next? Yes. So we really want to... Too bad Ryan couldn't be here, because it's probably, probably his project. He's yeah. the distiller. Yes. He, 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 uh, by the way, I, I, I mentioned him earlier. He couldn't make it. He's the distiller up there, and he his plane was delayed, and he was flying in today. So he's, right. so he's missing just it. missing the show, he's which bummed. sucks. Sorry, Ryan. Yeah, sorry, Ryan. We'll, we'll invite you back next time. Pizza was pretty good. <laughs> uh, so, we really wanted to focus on the, on these core products and have them, you know, do well and, and inform people about them and not kind of spread ourselves too thin, which a whole bu- with a whole bunch of different SKUs. Um, at the distillery, we've been able to now, especially since we're growing, to start kind of going back to to Ryan's roots and kind of the roots of a lot of Vermonters, which is is connecting that the farm to distilling. So, you know, back in the day, every farm, mostly diversified farms, they'd have a couple of cows, they'd have a couple of blueberry patches, um, gardens, whatever. Um, they pick some blueberries. As the blueberries are starting to maybe go bad, they'll try to put some, preserve some as much as possible into jam. Buckets are still kind of sitting there. They'll start fermenting. They're like, okay, we'll make blueberry wine. And then kind of the ultimate form of preservation for that is, is distilling it into a brandy, right? So that's kind of how a lot of like old school European farms actually still function. Distilling being the ultimate form of preservation of an agricultural product. It adds a little bit of value-added product to the farmers. They can sell it for a little bit more. Value-added, it condenses it in size and volume so that the weight is lower. You can travel it better. It's, it's shelf-stable. Like, yeah, it all exactly. makes sense. all makes sense. And nutrients are still there. I think a lot of folks out there have kind of forgotten about that when they're when they're drinking their cocktail at at any bar that this actually comes from from a farm from a farmer so we set out to do a project called um 
Experiments in Agricultural Rectification. <laughs> it's E-A-R for short. Um, Are you listening? It's, it's meant to be... E-A-R. <laughs> exactly. It's meant to be nerdy and scientific. This is really our research series line, and our focus is partnering with local farmers uh, and giving some value-added product back to them. So the first one we did was actually a maple syrup distilled into a vodka, so similar to the honey we just sold the maple syrup. The sugar maples are actually grown on Ryan's land. Uh, and it's pretty great. And this second product I wanted to blind taste you on, if you don't mind. Yeah, let's do it. I know it's I won't sometimes look. not fair. but There's one glass right there. Um, that's clean. That's clean. I don't want to. Yeah, perfect. Well, you pour it over there so I can see it if you want. Um, while he's over there pouring that, I'll just uh, sit here and continue drinking this delicious uh, Tomcat gin. I've taken some pictures, by the way, so you can check them out on Speakeasy Podcast uh, Instagram later. Um, I'll get them up there for you. Um, but I'm really having a, a great time with this particular gin. Okay, so right. I already gave you some hints. You know, it's, it's a local agricultural product. So it's Whoa. Coming from Vermont. Very different aroma. What are you, what are you smelling? What are you tasting? Tell the honest, I, haven't, I haven't tasted it yet, but uh, aroma is like really grassy and bright and some weirdly citrusy. It almost smells like a tequila. <laughs> like, wow. All right, here goes. I'm going in for a taste. You gotta talk while I'm tasting this. Oh, this sure. This is his radio. So Souther is bringing the glass to his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say play by play. Um. So we we try to part. So we partnered. Oh man, it's kind of got a sharp bitter note on the finish. Hits my tongue is a little bit sweet and grassy, and then the bitterness is on the backside. Wild guess. Man, I, I want to talk about it. So. Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> and we got a few minutes. Though. Don't okay. worry. Um, wild guess. Three guesses. No, I'm not even gonna give you three. I mean, no, I don't. I don't even have a guess. Okay, uh, it's burdock root. That would have never guessed burdock <laughs> root. I was gonna say like gentian, but like I was like, it's not Still, floral enough. You were thinking, you were thinking roots. So this is it's a root. It is earthy. For me, when I first tasted it, so bur- for, for burdock for the listeners, um, I'll be honest, I didn't know what it was beforehand. It's those pesky plants weeds basically that grow all around when you're when you're in your yard or when you're far when you're when you're hiking and they have those little spiky balls it was mm-hmm. actually the inspiration for velcro yeah was and but you don't eat that part you eat the root and it's actually really big in asian in asian countries specifically japan one for medicinal purposes lowers blood sugar and everything but two for for cuisine it's it tastes very much between like a turnip and a carrot long slender roots so there's a, there's a farmer in, in plainfield um who's kind of this, we call him this like outlaw farmer. So what he does is he basically farms what a lot of people consider weeds. He farms a lot of dandelion. He farms a lot of burdock for the Asian markets in, in general. Um, he contacted Ryan and said, hey, you know, I got this burdock root. It's really high in, in sugars and starch. Like, do you guys want to see, try something out, do something with it? Um, so we said, sure. <laughs> we tried it. We were thinking maybe it'd be a good fermentable for a, a base of some sort of different spirit or something. Um, and then we tasted it, and we're like, whoa, this is incredible, actually. it For me, I tasted it, and it kind of just triggered the same parts of my brain of some sort of agave spirit. Yeah, it really does, especially on the ro- especially on aroma. It's got this, like, crunchy green bean, like, lettuce in a, in a, in a beautiful way. Uh, and so, you know, there's folks that are experimenting with different sorts of agave products around the country. And, again, we wanted to focus with local agriculture, with the local terroir, and this is, you know, now I think we may have just discovered the, a New England earthy spirit. Um, you know, when I mix cocktails, cocktails with it, I very much 
use it as I would. You know, it goes really well with savory notes and um, carrot syrups and salt. And so you're using this kind of like you would use a tequila. Yeah, like a blanco. A lot of ways. And, and it's the, super again, the potent. aroma, the aroma comes off like that immediately. Like yeah. There was that grassy, sharp, slightly citrusy aroma. Right. On my tongue, like I said, sweet at the front, and then it started hitting bitter in the back, and like, yeah, it's amazing. It's kind of got that that same sort of you know, template. Profile a little bit different, but the template is kind of there. Two or three days afterwards, when we kind of it hit us that that's what it does taste like in a lot of ways, it's this earthy, grassy note. We're like, oh, it's almost like a non, not too, not smoky mezcal or something. And yeah. Ryan was actually in town and he was having a drink at one of his favorite bars, Angel Share. Mm-hmm. And he takes a picture of the menu and he sends it to me, and it was a burdock infused mezcal in one of their cocktails that was served with a little burdock on the on the rim, and we were just like, whoa. So, you know, we, I think we made 200 bottles, 200 3750s of it right now, and it's only going to be sold at the, at the distillery and at the bar, so you have to come down to Vermont to try it. Um, From most of the country, it's up to Vermont. Up to Vermont. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> My mom's Canadian, so it's <laughs> down south for us. Right. <laughs> Way down south in Vermont. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that's exciting. So this is our, you know, our, our second experiment. The, so the experiments in agriculture rectification, it's going to continuously change, and we'll go back to some of them. And I'm sure I'm, I, I know your, we'll do another batch of this. Yeah, of course. This is pretty interesting. You say this is your second experiment. How, how often are you doing them? Um, Quarterly, yearly. Kind of put a little bit on pause right now because we were moving the entire distillery down to Montpelier, sure, and it's right. this whole thing. And um, we're going to launch this one, and then uh, we're not giving ourselves too much of a timeline because we don't want to have to put out something that we promise if we're not super excited about it. So Understood. Yeah. We, we've, we've done a couple others that we haven't put out that have been interesting, but not necessarily interesting enough. So um, I'd love to see a couple, two, three a year, but uh, and then we kind of redo some of them seasonality-wise, but it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. And so you know, I'm, I'm missing a bit. A couple of my bartenders are going down to the farm to do a little video shoot and actually meet the farmers and dig up some burdock themselves because there's actually a spring harvest and a fall harvest. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're not digging them up, but they're going to be checking them out. Uh, yeah. yeah. Far out. Well, listen, man, it's been really great chatting with you and tasting all these, uh, great products that you're putting out up there. Um, from honey to vodka, to your gin, to your sort of, I guess, are you calling it an old Tom gin? Tomcat? That's it's just, it's super unique. The Tomcat, that's just the name of the uh, Barhill Tomcat. Absolutely. Yeah. Aged, uh, barrel aged gin. And then this, um. E-A-R, Experimental so, Spirit. And I forgot to mention oh, that yeah, the name up? of this one specifically is, we're calling it Gobo, which is the Japanese word for burdock. Ah, Gobo. Since it's a Japanese, so this is our Gobo. It kind of started off as just like a code word for the pro- project, and then we're like, well, it's Gobo now. Yeah. <laughs> That's um, pretty, it's pretty rad. It's quite delicious. Uh, if you can make your way up to Vermont to grab some, I highly recommend it. Um, and definitely look out for these products uh, on your shelves. Uh, uh, very specifically, this Tomcat has blown me away. Nice. Um, how could someone get in touch with you and or Ryan and or the distillery if they wanted to? Uh, me, Instagram is at Sam Nellis, Sam underscore Nellis, N-E-L-I-S, not Niels. <laughs> uh, uh, Ryan but, Christensen is at Distill Vermont. I believe it's Distill underscore Vermont. And then we have at Bar Hill Gin. Those are our kind of Instagram handles. And then, you know, you can, you can Google Caledonia Spirits. The website will pop right up. Uh, yeah, we look forward to, if you want to reach out and chat a little bit about Bees Knees Week or come take a tour, uh, Souther and Damon, who I hope is listening. <laughs> He's always listening. Um, uh, I want to formally invite you guys to come up to Vermont. Yeah, outstanding. And we'll, we'll do something fun together. We're way overdue to get up there. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll haul uh, JLB please. with us. Please. Uh, please we'll do. His, do. his, so quick 
shout out to JLB and his beautiful family. His, his mother, Karen, lives 15 minutes away from the new distillery. She came to one of our opening nights and she's come to a few bars I've worked at in the past. And she's the only guest that has ever done this. And it almost makes me cry every time she sends me a thank you note in the mail a couple of weeks after visiting me and details the exact cocktail she had. And thank you, Sam, for taking care of us. It's wow. truly amazing. What a delight. It's inspiration in hospitality. No wonder he's such a personable Sweetie. sweetheart. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. exactly. Um, well, thanks so much uh, for being here. Uh, and again, uh, I encourage everybody out there who has any um, uh, you know, decision-making abilities at their bar to consider uh, doing Bees Knees Week along, uh, alongside of uh, Bar Hill Gin. They're, they encourage you to, to do it even if you can't get their product. Um, just make some Bees Knees and do- donate to charities that uh, help uh, you know, keep bees alive and doing their jobs. Um, that's it for this week's Speakeasy. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Cheers, buddy. Good to have you. Cheers. Want more of the Speakeasy? Follow us and ask questions on Instagram at Speakeasy Podcast or on Twitter at Speakeasy Radio. You can find Damon at Damon Bolte and you can find me at Creative Drunk on all platforms. Take a moment to write us a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite platform and give us a star rating, five if possible. If you're visiting New York City or a resident, stop by the studio and hang out with us during an episode. Reach out beforehand to make sure we'll be here. We'd love to see you. And please support our show by visiting heritageradionetwork.org and clicking on the beating heart to donate. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.